Yeah, here we go for the hundred time. Hand grenade pins in every line. Throw them up and let something shine. Going out of my fucking mind. Truth is, you can stop and stare. Run myself out and no one cares. Dug the trench out. Lay down there. Hey, Michaela, I'm just recording this as an audio file um, just because I tend to just write how I speak and then there'd be like a ton of typos when I speak anyway. Uh, sorry, when I write. Um, so it's just easier if I just have an audio file and send it through as this can be a little bit detailed. I'm going to have some supporting documents um, and links to sort of like podcasts, interviews and stuff that I've done as well um, that sort of further expand upon these points um, for your reference if you wanted to look into those as well. <clears throat> so I'll get into this now. So when SNA came to beat, so SNA being uh, what started our Sports Nutrition Australia, which now became, uh, as of this year, the Sports Nutrition Association. Um, it started as Sports Nutrition Australia is about seven years ago. We're probably coming up on our eighth. And I own and operated a training in Allied Health Center and so I had a dietitian on staff. Um, I had exercise scientists, exercise physiologists, uh, all those graduate professionals sort of working under me as well as personal trainers and coaches. And my broker let me know that I was liable for them and that they weren't, even though I had a dietitian on staff, I, they weren't covered to be talking about nutrition in any capacity. And so it, it, it basically all started from a place of, uh, you know, a, a defensive place to cover myself and to cover my own ass. <clears throat> And so we sort of sat out um, to find insurers that we could work with that would look at um, organizing a policy specifically for sports nutrition. A big uh, component of that process involved creating a clear distinction between where sports nutrition starts and finish and where dietetics uh, took over. And so in working with a couple of the colleagues of mine who had wrapped up their <clears throat> masters in, and, and their sports dietet sports dietitians accreditation as well as their PhD in dietetic research. Uh, we were able to create a risk assessment and triage process that effectively assessed the dietetic and chronic disease um, and medical medically contraindicated risk uh, of, of a subject, and then based on the assessment. Uh, then dictated the triage process and intervention treatment plan moving forward. So was a dietitian or a medical allied health specialist uh, required to be, become a part of that intervention with the nutrition plan or was it suitable for a sports nutritionist to just take over? So that was the metabolic health screen. Um, so that took us about 12 months before we got everything in line. And then um, <clears throat> we had our first intake. I did it primarily with staff obviously to just cover myself um, and some colleagues who were just like, oh, we really want to do this and get this coverage. And then it just started as sort of like a word of mouth thing that like, hey, this um, Alex guy is running these courses. If you want to get insured, you go about doing that and sort of fast forward about two years from there and the insurers came back to us and were like, hey, you've put a lot of people through this and we've got some good policies and this is obviously a really good thing. Um, you know, we're not having any claims. It looks like, you know, people are doing some good things. Um, you need to incorporate a nonprofit and actually have a registration and accreditation body. And so uh, my brokers, um, lawyers at the time and the insurers sort of held our hand through the process. We reached out to the state health ombudsman's 
um, and got in contact with them, let them know that we existed. This is what we were going to be doing moving forward. Um, and that was the incorporation date of the nonprofit. And that happened, that, that officially, um, that process finished or got started, I think it was in September 2017. Um, and then since then, yeah, we had the accreditation body and <clears throat> the education company operating in unison um and it's just been sort of head down bum up ever since um probably shortly after that was when we were getting a lot of interest in new zealand so then we uh went into the new zealand market and then after that we were getting interest um in asia so we went into asia and then i held a conference in the gold coast just a national sports nutrition conference uh at the Gold Coast at the beginning of last year. So at the end of, it was toward the end of February, I think it was like 21st of Feb, 2019 and had international speakers and presenters. And I'll actually be linking you. I've got my speech somewhere on um, YouTube or somewhere. So I'll link you that, um, my presentation on that. And um, just through some sort of claim statistics out there, spoke about sort of what we need to be doing with the industry moving forward. And um from there, uh, had colleagues from the US and in Europe saying, hey, we need this year too. We don't have that. And it's sort of, you know, that, 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 that's what really was the catalyst to get the international body and the advisory board sort of really going from there. And then as soon as COVID hit, um, I had plans to travel and present sort of nationally and internationally about sports nutrition and look to sort of roll out the global body stuff in 2021. Um, but with COVID limiting travel, we were just able to do it earlier. Um, just saw the opportunity to sort of do that then. So that's sort of the brief history about Australia, how it came to be, how, how I guess how it all started and then how the association was founded in relation to all of that. <clears throat> and I think that also answers the driving factors behind the formation of it as well. Um, the mission statement for the Sports Nutrition Association is ensuring the sustainable prosperity of the sports nutrition profession. So, you know, this the landscape is ever-changing and claims are changing and there's so much, I, I guess, going back to sort of number two driving factors behind the, behind the formation of it is like prior to us, there was like nothing existed. It was like the Wild West. And so any person could self-appoint themselves as a professional in sports nutrition, whether they'd done like a weekend workshop or they'd read a couple of books or, you know, they'd gone and done a six year university program. Um, you know, anyone could refer to themselves as that. So a big driving factor behind this was we will, we wanted to have, we wanted to legitimize standardization for best practice in the sports nutrition profession. So that was a big part of sort of what we wanted to do and set, set aside a minimum for best practice standards. So we've got our certificate program, that we provide the education in. So that's what the education company takes care of. Um, whilst at the same time having those standards where for any of our openly accredited members, they must have either an undergraduate or a postgraduate, an undergraduate bachelor's or a postgraduate diploma in the relevant field. So that's got to be a really, a really specific health or sports science or an amalgamation of both um, programs. So whether that's a postgraduate diploma in applied performance nutrition, or it's an undergraduate um, bachelor's in uh, exercise physiology or exercise science or um, nutrition science, um, they need to hold those things. So that's our minimum standard uh, for our members. And so 
we get a lot of people who have come through university programs that we just need to do some top-up subjects because uh, like especially within Australia we don't have any undergraduate sports nutrition programs whereas a couple of universities in the UK and the US have some really good programs at an undergrad level um, and AUT are actually Auckland University of Technology we're working with them at the moment and they're putting together a cool little um, grad dip to master's pathway on that as well but uh, presently in Australia is not that much so the educate private education does some like topping up crediting stuff um, to get them to com- com- compliant otherwise we get a lot of personal trainers then who are interested in it but they're not sure if it's for them and so they come into the certificate we give them a provisional accreditation and they've got three years after they complete the certificate where they can practice provisionally it's a reduced scope of practice and then at the same time uh, they need to go into that study in order to maintain registration insurance and if they don't we deregister them and they're not eligible for insurance um, so that's that that was a bit that's a big drive the the, the legitimate standardization of the profession and what best practice is is, is a big one so having standardized uh, prerequisites and minimums as far as education is concerned as well it, it was really important and then we're looking at the moment, we're adding these specialist sort of fields, uh, like for that are only for the postgraduate. So the the members who are openly accredited, um, where there's some like specialist niche um, practical programs that we're working on as well. So things like in the weight cutting side of things, we've got the research review paper that we're doing, and then we've got a nine month practical program for all the openly accredited postgraduate members. And then we have the same thing for things um, for, for physique contest preparation as well, because there's all these horror stories. That come out of these pro uh, that come out of um, you know people who have participated in these events, um, you know that are just getting hand me down uh, knowledge from in, inside their gyms or whatever, and it you know, flies in the face of what best practice actually is. So, um, you know what we're now looking to do is standardise and set best practices specifically for these niche specialty areas as well. So there are two that we've we've def, we've done physique contest prep. We're in the process of refining and finalising the weight cutting stuff. Um, and then we'll be looking at tackling more as they come up. And this is a really evolving, ever-evolving sort of area. Like sports nutrition formally, um, as far as like consistently published research um, is concerned, really only had its formal base founded about 17 years ago. So this is still very much in its infancy. Um, so I anticipate there to be more niches and special specialty areas popping up as we progress. Um, endurance sports tend to have a lot of good uh, stuff and best practice for it. Um, so that's probably not an area that we're looking to sort of jump into straight away. We sort of want to go into the high risk, high needs areas and then sort of work our way back from there. Um, information point four information regarding me and my career to date. Uh, look, I have been in the fitness industry for about, I think this is my 12th or 13th year now. Um, so I started off working as a personal trainer, um, did that for quite some time, had colleagues, um, progressing through their exercise physiology programs and dietetic programs. And I was seeing what they were studying. I, I knew I wanted to like have a, a, like a graduate level of education, but I um, was seeing what my colleagues and friends were studying. And I hated the thought of doing a lot of those things in those programs at the time. And I didn't want to be working with, um, you know, working on treating and managing chronic disease or anything like that, or working in, um, you know, with specialized populations that had, chronic health or um, disease or musculoskeletal considerations or anything like that. Um, I really wanted to be working with um, people that 
who wanted to optimize themselves, so optimizing their metabolism, optimizing their performance and all that kind of stuff. And that was really only accessible to us at a postgraduate level. And I couldn't reconcile at the time, this is pretty funny, I couldn't reconcile the um, point of spending about twenty dollars to $30,000 on Hex, which is now, uh, you know, to complete an undergrad to then go into that, um, <laughs> which is crazy because now I think the program is about $87,000 um, for, for, you know, an exercise science program. And, and they look a bit better now. Um, and so I stayed working in the industry. I had a big chip on my shoulder and wanted to make, have like a really profitable business, a successful business. So I created Enhance HQ, which was the training in Allied Health Center. That was in Newstead. Um, and I owned and operated that for quite some time, um, about four and a half years. Um, and within my first year of doing that was when I stumbled into this, uh, like, you know, fell into the gap that existed. Um, and a couple of years before then, I, before having that, I, um, this, the journal, um, of the International Society of Sports Nutrition, uh, I became familiar with that and acquainted with it. So, um, they ran certification programs, which were just pass fail exams online. And so people were like, Oh, I passed this exam. I'm now a sports nutritionist. Um, and so, I did their exams to then test my knowledge. Uh, they had an undergrad one that did quite well in that. So um, even though I hadn't completed an undergrad at uni, um, they, even though I hadn't completed an undergrad at uni, they'd allowed me to just based on my score, go into the postgrad one. And so I aced that as well. And then I was just networking with them um, and just like hungry for more knowledge. So I was like that. And that's how I sort of like, I, I found the journal. It was the only journal on sports nutrition. And so when I say um, previously that the, that sports nutrition for me is only about 17 years old, that's that, that, that uh, directly aligns with the formation and creation of the journal of the international society of sports nutrition. And so, um, yeah, I, I've been actively involved with them for probably about eight years now. And, um, I was just t- like networking and, uh, like, 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 like working with and picking the brains of the founding board members of the journal. Uh, and these were some of the top sports nutrition researchers and practitioners in the world. Um, heads of Rutgers university, the Ivy league college was Dr. Sean Arendt at the time, uh, you know, heads of, uh, Nova Southeastern University in Florida, University of South Florida, um, Bailey university, you know, some of the top ranked, um, Division NCAA Division One colleges in the world, and I was getting at you know like in their top PhDs and heads of faculty and stuff um, in these areas. I was reaching out to them and working with them um, specifically in the field. And so I was. It was probably around when I formed the when I had the facility and I learned about that. I said, look, um, part of the certification process that came up was. Um, uh, like, hey, there's these existing exams. Can we use that? So we had the health risk assessment that we had to train on, and we used that um, these exams to assess competency initially. And then we needed to like add way more, and then we're looking at like case study assignments, practical application. Um, you know, it, it extensively grew from that initial point. I look back now and I see the things that I'm like, holy hell, this is so crap. But um, at the time, people were like mind blown. I can't believe we're learning this stuff. Um, and so. Uh, yeah, I was actually involved. I flew over to conferences that they were having, was like the lone Aussie at the, 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 these events. Um, and yeah, subsequently became an advisory board member for the journal as well. Um, and so I leveraged 
yeah, the exams to help with the initial part of the certification. The insurers liked it. Now it's at the point where they, the insurers didn't want any part of the exams um, to be a mandatory part of it. Um, and it's evolved quite extensively since then because their position being look a pass-fail exam, multiple choice pass-fail exam um, isn't good enough. So we've got a lot more assessment pieces to go through. I think we've got something like 30 30 something quizzes and about nine different um, case study and assignment based things that people go through now just in the certificate. Um, so I, yeah, became an advisory board member of the International Society of Sports Nutrition, um, completed my graduate diploma in performance nutrition. Um, and while doing that, I um, uh, was looking to link through into uh well, I got accepted into the um, uh, like a, a UK um, Institute's uh, graduate diploma program, and uh, which is the Institute of Performance Nutrition, um, and completed that, uh, and then was looking at bridging into a master's program with Middlesex University at the time, uh, and it was just going to be done by distance, and so I submitted my research proposal for the thesis associated with that, and it was looking to be really, really big. So then I had a PhD sponsorship offered to me um, for it if I wanted to complete it. But um, yeah, that um, which then the university that was doing that at the time, it moved from Middlesex to Ulster. Um, but as it turned out, work just in terms of the accreditation side of things, um, the claims, how, how much claims were evolving and stuff. You'll see this in the, in the um, presentation that I have from the conference last year everything just started sort of growing rapidly in the business side of things. Um, and I guess this is the, I guess the important information regarding me and my career is, is that I make decisions based on um, the things that I, like what I find now is I just go into things where I'm like, if no one's doing this and it needs to be done, that's the stuff that I do. Um, I might have things that I want to do or answer questions that I want answered or something like that. But if there is something like glaringly obvious and I'm like, holy shit, why is no one doing this? Then I'm like immediately into it. Um, you know, so that's why we had the comp prep um, program because there was like these people getting hospitalized in peak weeks and all these crazy rebounds happening after their shows and hospitalizations after shows and all this kind of stuff that was happening. Um, you know, it, horrific um, binge eating episodes and then purging episodes and stuff that were happening. So I personally have no interest in comp prep, but in terms of providing a constructive solution to that problem and the fact that no one was doing it, that that's the stuff that gets me out of bed. So, um, you know, I don't have to push myself for it. So yeah, I, I, I basically came to a crossroads where I was looking at doing that stuff and all the people that I was looking up to in the industry had you know done their research um you know they'd done a small thesis with their masters or they were doing really detailed research with phds and i felt like i had to follow in the footsteps of those who went before me um you know and i made the decision that i didn't have to do that and i really needed to double down on this because no one else is really doing this stuff um and so yeah i guess like my mission personally in my career now for the next five to ten years is to really cement the legacy and legitimize the industry and the standardization with it make the people, the general public more aware of these things and then make the professionals within the industry more aware and, you know, just to be able to help out a lot more people. Um, that's the stuff that I feel like I'm pulled in the direction of so I don't even have to push myself for it. I get um, a lot of just natural energy from it. So the solution that SNA is providing to the industry and its clients, I feel like I've said that in a really ass about way. Um, so if you want me to elaborate on this anymore, um, I can, but basically it's like, I feel like we're 
providing a, a like a, a multitude of solutions to the industry because the industry is so fucked at the moment. Um, basically, it, it starts again with the mission statement, which is ensuring the sustainable prosperity of the profession. And in order to do that, we need to establish a legitimate standardization of best practice and minimum standards for the industry. I feel like we've done a pretty good job at that. And now we're addressing the stuff that we see popping up that's, that's, you know, where, pe- where people, both the clients and professionals are getting really fucked up. So whether that be with, you know, comp preps, whether that be with weight cutting or whether it just be with nutrition in general, right? Like we're coming into the new year. Um, and so those articles that I've sent through sort of like talk about it, like the trend is pe- like people want extremes. And unfortunately in the society that we live in, people just aren't aware of the nuances uh, that are associated with like lifestyle interventions and the success rate of that stuff. Um, and this is quite hard for me to dumb down and speak in layman's terms, but basically it's like everyone wants to go for a quick fix extreme solution. So it's like, just eliminate this one thing from your diet and you'll be all good. Or, you know, do like you, you have to abstain from alcohol completely and exercise seven times a day and all that kind of stuff. And these drastic changes then impact your nutritional needs as well, um, you know, to, to manage your weight. And so, what we need are like small, subtle, consistent changes over time, which aren't sexy, um, you know, so that way we're not having these huge big yo-yo swings where it's like heaps of exercise and eating only clean food, which then creates a huge energy deficit, which then leads to people then being in like a restrict cycle, which then as a result of like the crazy restriction and energy deficit they're experiencing, they, you know, psychologically become more neurotic and more likely to binge afterwards. And then we get into a binge episode and then we get into like a binge and restrict cycle uh, from there. And there's a lot of like guilt and shame associated and stuff. So like coming into the new year, like it'd be good if we could get some stuff out where it's just like, hey, like less than 7% of the population in Australia eat the recommended fruit and veg intake. And, you know, like plants are really low in calories. So like fill up on fruit and veg and then just try and exercise, you know, like, 50% more than you were or like try and just get that three to those three to five sessions in a week in. And if you still want to have your alcohol, do that because if you're exercising consistently in three months time and you're eating your plants in three months time, then, and you're still having that, 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 that those casual drinks on the weekend and stuff, then you will be in good shape. Then, um, you know, people you know, like have unrealistic expectations about what's achievable in the short term. And then we live in this, period of instant gratification uh you know where people don't appreciate delayed gratification anymore and so you know the 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 trends that we're seeing as, as it gets to new years and like with health and fitness and stuff uh you know are, are just further reinforcing that and adding fuel to the fire and i don't want to give those things oxygen um personally with that stuff uh you know like we, we we've got data on the fact that something like 97 percent of diets fail within a three or five year period um, we know that binging and restricting fucks people's metabolisms. Uh, there, there's very few ways to actually impact your metabolism, but actually doing that is really bad. Um, you know, and so a, a lot of it comes down to just the behavior and the consistency. So like what, what we've identified with long-term success of weight management for people is that if they're more active, so those who are more active in the week, um, you know, in the long term, they're the ones that keep it off, right? So if they if it, if they spend an additional five hours per week exercising or being more active, and it could just be like having more steps in their day, then they're more likely to be more successful in the long term. And what you find is is that you know, like you have less idle time because you're exercising, and when you have less idle time, you have less, and you're exercising, there's less time that you're thinking about food. So 
and there's less time that you're sitting down, more likely to go for an energy dense, you know, serving of food that it doesn't necessarily, that's not going to make you gain weight because it's got gluten or dairy or it's got carbs or it's got fat. It's just that it's, you know, super refined, super processed, full of, you know, really dense sugar and fat all in the one thing. So it's hyper palatable and, you know, based on our like evolutionary biology, we go for that because that's got the most dense energy per unit. So we can preserve ourselves for longer. So it's not like, you know, the, the sort of the theories out there, like the, this, this sort of like black and white, um, you know, binary dogmatic approach to like gluten, carbs, whatever it is like that, they don't work. Um, you know, it, 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 there's a moderate sort of middle ground for everything. Um, and unfortunately, the reality is, is like, hey, exercise more per week, eat more plants, and you'll find that if you're exercising more, you're not thinking about food. If you're eating more plants, you have less room for all the bad shit as well. If you were prioritizing those two things first, we'll find that, um, you know, people will be more successful in the long term. And, it, it, you know, and, and we can actually sustain that. And we can find a way to then start thinking about how we can make being more active in the week actually enjoyable and how someone can personalize and make it enjoyable to get more plants in their diet in a way that they can do that in the long term and keep enjoying it in the long term. And I think that, you know, those are the approaches that I'd like to see more of um, from that point. I hope this helps. I'm going to send some links through some podcasts that I've done and obviously these um, presentations. Um, And if you need anything more, just let me know.